Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Third Love. If you are anything like me, ladies, you know that it's difficult to find a really comfortable bra, one that you don't just want to take off first thing at the end of the day. This holiday season, you should give yourself the gift of Third Love. It's an exciting new lingerie brand that uses real women's measurements, that's you and me and the rest of us, to create better fitting bras. Third Love offers a 100% fit guarantee. Returns and exchanges are always free. You can try their best-selling 24 t-shirt bra for free for 30 days. Just cover the shipping. Start your trial now at thirdlove.com slash books. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 85, and today we are talking about our favorite novels of 2016. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi. It's a rainy Monday morning here, and everyone in my house has feelings. Ugh. We had a lot of snow. Well, not a lot, but like a couple inches in the middle of the night, and now it has all melted. It's like 45 out now. It's gross. Ah, yeah. Slush everywhere. We've just got rain. Um, If I sound a little different to our listeners, it's because my microphone died over the weekend after 187 episodes of the Book Riot podcast and 84 of this one. 2016! I know, what a year. And (laughs) I know that our listeners will understand this too. Poor Millie, my basset hound, has been having some... she's, She's 10 and a half. She's having old dog... Uh, brain problems and lots of anxiety so she is on the floor of my office like three feet from me because that's the only place that she's happy to be right now so we might have you know some livestock disturbances during the show Um, (laughs) (laughs) or maybe just some like really good snoring Uh, it's gonna be wild and wooly today awesome (laughs) so uh, before we get started I wanted to tell you that I I found uh, what you can get me for Christmas. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a signed first edition of Dracula. Okay. I was on the internet last night because I'm reading the Bram Stoker biography right now, and I was mm-hmm. looking at Bram Stoker stuff, and this ad came up, and the first edition signed of Dracula. It's only $16,625. Oh, no big deal. No big deal. So if you were wondering what to get me, hey, I'll take it. You know, that's actually... Less than I would have guessed a signed first edition of Dracula would be. It's not in great condition. Okay. It's looking a little rough. It It, seems like that's appropriate, too. Like, a copy of Dracula should be a little beat up. Yeah. 18-year-old me would have sold, like, several organs to get that. (laughs) Not mine, just other people's. Just just find some organs and sell them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This show took a dark turn, (laughs) later. Three minutes in. (laughs) Okay, also, so today we're going to talk about... Our favorite novels of the year. Yeah. But before we get started, we're going to do something that we've never done before. We are? Yes. We, okay. So, Queen of the Night. Mm, yes. Queen of the Night is my favorite novel of 2016. 
Just, you know that. Everyone knows that. We've talked about it a million times. And because we've talked about it a million times, we are going to give it a special place in the Well Red Heads Hall of Fame. We are retiring Queen of the Night <laughs> and hanging up its jersey because we just love it so much. But I mean, I was just glancing through and we talked about it on episode 39, 59, 79. Apparently we liked episodes that ended in nine <laughs> just this year. And that's not mentioning, that's like not all, including the other times that we talked about it before. Like last year when I kept mentioning how excited I was for it. So, Queen of the Night, first installment in the Well Redheads Hall of Fame. We'll have to make Alexander Chi a new uh, addition to his tote cape as an award for this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in like last year, you know, was when I threw down and I said I would eat James Patterson mm-hmm. if it didn't do well. And it went into 12 printings. Before the paperback came out. So, so James Patterson is safe. Safe. Totally safe. Probably really gamey, too. <laughs> so. So, you know, like, now we're going to talk about some other books. Yeah, there were good books this year, and we did go back and forth, because Queen of the Night obviously belongs on this list, so just assume it's at the top of the list. Yeah. And uh, we'll feature, we're each going to do five picks, so it's also a slightly bigger show yes. this week. You want to kick it off? I am going to kick it off. With News of the World by Paulette Giles. This was shortlisted for the National Book Award. Um, you know, Colson Whitehead won. Obviously, we love him. Um, but this book was so fantastic. I'm so glad I did not have to choose. It's a little, tiny, beautiful novel. Just over 200 pages. It takes place in Texas in 1870. It's about a man named Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd. He is an elderly Civil War veteran. And he is a newsreader. He goes around from town to town and reads the paper to audiences. They pay a dime to come and see him, and he gets a paper from London, and he reads about, you know, world news to these people who might not get the newspaper or might not even be able to read, and he does really well at it. And one day he's traveling around, he's doing a show, and an acquaintance of his, a free black man, approaches him and says, I need your help with this, this problem that I have. And he's like, well, you know, what is it? And, he, and the man takes the captain out back to his wagon. And there is a 10-year-old girl named Johanna. She is a white girl, but she was a Kiwa captive. Uh, her family was killed and she was taken captive when she was four years old. And she was raised by the Native Americans. And in a deal with the U.S. Army, the Native Americans have returned their captives. So she has been given up by her Native American family. And her aunt and uncle, who live in San Antonio, have asked the captain's friend to bring her back to them, even though they've never met her. Um, They think that she belongs with her her real family. But her, excuse me, the captain's friend is like, I don't think it's a great idea for me, a black man, to be riding with a little white girl. So would you help me out with this? Would you take her to her family? And so the captain agrees. He's, He's pretty unhappy with his life. He's pretty unhappy with the world. He's disappointed in how people behave. He's seen a lot of war. He's seen a lot of death. He's just really unhappy with everything in general. And he thinks that, you know, taking this girl will be a good deed, something that will bring his life meaning. So he agrees to take her. But this is like the 1870 Wild West. This is Texas. There are bandits on the road. There are still people being killed by Native Americans. They're still fighting. Um, But he agrees to take her. And so they start out on their trip, but Johanna is not a willing participant in this. She doesn't want to be there. She doesn't understand why she can't be back with her family, and she tries to escape all the time. 
which proves to be a problem for the captain. You know, he's, you know, 71 years old. She's 10. Um, and so they head out on this road trip. And it's just, it's so, I don't even know the words I want for this. It's so beautiful. The writing is so lovely. And it's sad. And if you're looking for, like, a great Western, if you love, like, Lonesome Dove, this is a perfect book. I'm not going to tell you anything else that happens. Again, it's called News of the World by Paulette Giles. Oh, we went heavy here in the first couple of rounds now that I'm looking at our notes. My first pick this week, and I think it's, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to make a case for any other book being the book of the year, uh, is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. He won the National Book Award for it. The book was The Resurrection of Oprah's Book Club this fall. It came out a whole month earlier than it was planned to because of Oprah. And it's just, it's really incredible. Uh, it's been interesting, as a side note, to watch the sales of this in the wake of Oprah and the National Book Awards. Um, it's not like as surgy as I expected it to be. And I think it's because this is tough subject matter, but you really, really are doing yourself a favor if you pick it up. Um, the novel is about Cora. She is a young woman who was raised as a slave in Georgia, who one night on the plantation meets a young man who is relatively new. He's just come there from Virginia. They become friends, and he eventually proposes to her that they run away from the plantation and that they're going to take the Underground Railroad to get out. Um, in Whitehead's conception of it, the Underground Railroad is a literal railroad built under the ground of the southern United States. Um, so the story has these magical realism elements of people, you know, finding the station, getting on the train and not knowing where it's going to take them next, uh, waiting for someone to show up to get them onto the train and the train never comes or the person never shows. And because these are runaway slaves, anything could have happened to them. Um, it, it, he really, you know, builds this, the real stakes of trying to make that kind of an escape into uh, sort of this physically present but also magical realism thing by building it as an actual railroad. And it's just difficult to describe, but really incredible. Uh, so Cora and her friend run away. They first make it to South Carolina to this town that seems really perfect, but turns out to be really uh, to have insidious plans uh, for the people of color, for the black people who live there. Um, it it looks like they're trying to help them advance. They're really trying to do something else, and so she learns that you know things are not always as they seem. That you cannot always trust people who claim to have yeah your best intentions at heart or who seem better than the people that were that own better than your slave owners previously. Um, and then as she travels from one state to the next, each place that she stops is a place that she considers making her new home, but is also a place where she discovers sort of new depths to the horror that white people have inflicted on black people. And as Cora has these experiences, Colson Whitehead sort of unearthing important pieces of the history of race relations in this country with, you know, very easy to draw connections to where we are today. The book is, it's not an easy read, um, but it moves very quickly, like for, especially for how difficult the subject matter can be, and just for how slightly different uh, the story is from, you know, other uh, fictional narratives of slave escape and of slavery. Um, it's really, really wonderful. Um, Jeff and I have talked a few times on the Book Riot podcast about like, 
this book is wonderful and it's hard to recommend because you're asking the reader that you give it to to do work um, to get there. But it really, really is worth it. And it doesn't feel like work once you get in there. Whitehead's world is, uh, for as awful and difficult as it is, it's also enchanting in its way. And I think this is a very memorable novel and one uh, to watch for years to come. So The Underground Railroad gets my crown for 2016. So good. So good. It is so good. So good. Would you like to hear about our first sponsor? I certainly would. Our first sponsor is Comic Bento. Comic Bento is the original graphic novel subscription box. Every month, a box filled with $60 to $80 worth of graphic novels ships right to your door. It has a different theme each month, and you're sure to discover classic favorites, hidden gems, and new and exciting worlds among the curated selections. If you're a longtime comics reader or new to the world of ink and excitement, Comic Bento is for you. This month's theme, available through December 31st, is Mighty. This month, they spotlight Marvel Comics, and they present Mighty. It's a hard-hitting box featuring two premium titles from the House of Ideas and two more Mighty books from their publishing peers. And it is, available, like I said, available through December 31st. And if you go to comicbento.com and subscribe and use the code RIOT15, you get 15% off your subscription. So it's like graphic novels coming right to your door. Yeah, and an awesome gift for the comics reader in your life. Yeah, it's so great. Like, every year I think more and more about how, like, just subscriptions and gift certificates are the way to go for people. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you even know what people have anymore? So this takes care of it. It's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Thanks to them for sponsoring. Absolutely. Now back to our serious in-downer discussion about... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like... I read more serious, sad books this year than ever before. Um, But so, so good. Including this next one. It's Grace by Natasha Dion. I feel like this should have been on a lot more lists at the end of the year. Um, It is also a book about slavery. It also has a little bit of a different take on the narration and the story. Um, And it's just unbelievable. I, I really wish more people had had read it, and I hope more people will read it. It takes place during the antebellum South to through the time of the Emancipation Proclamation, and it is narrated by a dead woman. Nothing that I am going to say now is spoiling anything, (laughs) unless you don't read the jacket, and then it's spoiling everything. So, um, but everything I'm going to tell you, you find out, you know, in the synopsis. Um, It's narrated by a dead woman. Her name is Naomi. She was a slave in Alabama. Um, She was kept hidden... From the owner of the plantation. Her mother is was kept a bit, essentially as a breeder for the plantation owner. Um, she would give birth and he would sell her babies. It's just horrific. And she kept Naomi hidden from him. Told him that she had lost the baby. Um, and so she and her sister live with their mother in this cabin. And when she is 15 years old, she has a chance to escape. She runs away and she winds up in Georgia. She's taken in by a hooker with a heart of gold who owns a brothel in Georgia. Um, And she works for this woman uh, cleaning. She's, like, really worried when she gets there. She's like, I'm going to put you to work. And she's, like, terrified what that means. But she's put to work cleaning. Um, And there she falls in love with a white man named Jeremy who works playing the piano at the brothel. Um, And she becomes pregnant. And then horrible things occur. Um... And Naomi is murdered. She is murdered immediately after giving birth to her baby. Her baby is named Josie, 
And Josie grows up not knowing her parents. She is raised on a plantation um, by Charles, who is a kind slave. And Naomi watches over her. Like I said, Naomi narrates this book. And it goes back and forth between time when Naomi is young and then when Josie is growing up. Um, She has the choice. Her ghost has the choice to, like, move on to the next world. But Naomi chooses to stay and watch over Josie. And it follows her as she grows up. And when the slaves hear that they are free, and like people come to the plantation and they say, "You are free," you know, Abraham Lincoln said, "You know, everybody's free," but they don't believe it. They think it's like a trick. It's you know, so they're really cautious and nervous about what's going to happen. And it's about like how their lives, lives of Charles and Josie change after the Emancipation Proclamation, um, and it's just so. Uh, I don't, I've lost all my words again today. It's things that, the things that occur are brutal and heartbreaking, but the writing is incredible and it's a really strong novel about love and family and it, and freedom. It's, it's remarkable. Um, again, it's called Grace by Natasha Dion. All right. In keeping with that theme, um, which I guess it's maybe worth talking about, 2016 was a really, great and interesting year for fiction about race. And it could seem like that was done on purpose because uh, the election and all of the things that happened in the culture. But the books that came out this year were probably bought by the publishers like in 2013 or 2014. And at that point, nobody knew that this year was going to be what it was. But there was so much fiction about it this year that was really excellent. And so many Black writers really taking center stage. Um, Just a really like great year for books that explored these difficult things. Um, but that's like, of course, that's why the show is front loaded with these books too, is there were a lot of them and very many of them were good. Um, my last kind of heavy pick this week, um, but one that man is so worth your time is Homegoing by Ya Jesse. This is also uh, my pick for the best debut of the year. And um, if you haven't seen it yet, Book Riot released our best books of 2016 list uh, that all the writers for the site collaborated on last week. You can see that at bookriot.com slash best books of 2016. Um, I got to blurb or recommend Homegoing, however you want to call it. I loved this book. Uh, It's about uh, two half-sisters, Effia and Essie, uh, who are uh, born in the part of Africa that becomes Ghana. But this is, uh, it starts in the 17th century, so it's not Ghana yet. Um, One of them marries a white man. He is an Englishman, he's a slaver, and she is moved into his castle. The other uh, is captured and sold into slavery and for a while kept in the dungeon below the same castle where her half-sister is living with her white husband. Um, We start to see right there the divergent lives that these women are going to have um, as a result of colonialism and as a result of slavery. And from there, the story spans generations. It spans continents. We eventually see... um, Some members of those families arrive in America, in the South, and every successive chapter is a different uh, is a different person in one of these extended families from one of the sides in a successive generation. Uh, So it really sort of builds. She builds out the family tree and moves it into the future uh, with from that original starting point with each chapter. The structure is so interesting. Um, I was really surprised by it, um, but I've seen enough discussion about that structure in enough reviews. I don't think I'm spoiling it to say that this is how the book uh, is set up. It has, it, it is as 
brutal, as you were saying, as you expect a book about slavery to be, and as a book about slavery must be to address the truth of that. Um, But it's also gorgeously written, I think so creatively imagined the way that she puts together these families and how their lives spin out um, over the generations. And then ultimately, one of them returning back to Ghana and reckoning with the family's legacy. Um, It's it's a gorgeous book. and I think and all of these that we've talked about so far are also important books. You know, um, not every novel on the list today is one that's going to be talked about and widely read for years to come. Probably some of them are more fun than others. There's a lot of room for that in fiction. But we had a lot of books this year that are books that need to be read um, and need to be discussed and stories that need to be explored more. Um, and I'm so happy that Homegoing has done so well. I'm also just what a voice. I, I can't wait to see what yeah, Jesse will do next. So that is homegoing. Yeah, it's it's like the mothers. It's like this is your first book. Right. Seriously, it's like this is how you started. Okay, <laughs> I'm glad that two six two two sixteen. I'm glad that 2016 is ending because I think I've used up my allotted amount of adjectives. <laughs> like my brain is just like say squishy, say pungent. I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> I need a different adjective. It's a very pungent novel. I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) So my next pick I talked about during our halftime show, Mm -hmm. and it's just stuck with me. It's like, I I feel like sleeper is almost an insulting word to use for things, but I don't feel that it's insulting. Like, it's, it's just like, it kind of creeps up on you. It's so beautiful and amazing. And um, the novel I am talking about is Sweet Girl by Travis Mulhauser. Um, It takes place in northern Michigan. It's about a 16-year-old girl named Percy James. Uh, She is a high school dropout. She has to work so that she can support her mother, Carletta, who is a drug addict. And one day during the winter, Percy comes home from work and she finds that her mother isn't home. And then she also hears that there is a serious, dangerous blizzard headed directly for them. And worried that her mother is, you know, strung out somewhere outside or someplace where she won't be able to get home, she goes and looks for her. The first place that that Percy goes to look for her mother is Shelton Potter's cabin. Shelton is a violent psychopath. I don't know if that's redundant. Um, He's a violent psychopath. He is a really incompetent criminal. And on top of being a meth dealer, he is also a total meth head. When Percy arrives at Shelton's cabin, Shelton and his girlfriend are completely out of it, just drugged to the gills. And she fu- hears, she's uh, looking, she's in here, she's looking around for her mother, and she goes upstairs and she finds a baby in a cradle sitting next to an open window. It's like there's like snow on the baby. And she realizes that this baby is still alive, but it's been sitting there in the freezing cold, so she decides that, that she needs to take the baby to the hospital. So she takes the baby. And But the snow is so bad, and she doesn't have a car, she decides to go to the home of Portis Dale. Portis is her mother's ex-boyfriend, and the closest thing that Percy ever had to a dad. And she asks him to help her get the baby to the hospital. So they head out into this blizzard. You know, by this time, it's raging. Um, And while this is going on, Shelton has woken up and realized that the baby is missing from the house. So he sends out his dangerous lackeys to find the baby. They go out in this snowstorm. And so Percy and Portis must not only survive the horrible elements, 
but also survive the criminal elements that are looking for them and the baby. It's sort of like True Grit meets Winter's Bone. It's fantastic. And like I said, it's has just stayed with me for so long. I still think about it. So I wanted to tell everyone else how wonderful it is. Again, it's called Sweet Girl by Travis Mulhauser. I'm going to go for one of the most fun reads that I had this year now. Um, it's Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. I I love her writing. I also love sort of the idea of the gang gets back together, like a group of friends or a family coming together um, in a novel. And this does that as well. But I think also Emma Straub is my favorite contemporary example of that fiction can be uh lighter without being insubstantial um, and that you can write a book that's fun for people to read and that's you know compelling and page turning but that you can sit on the beach and enjoy but that you know has some weight to it and some thoughtiness because thoughtiness is a word now um, and modern lovers really did that for me this year it's about two couples um eliza or sorry elizabeth and andrew um and their friend zoe uh, the three of them have been friends since college they were all in a band together um zoe and her wife live down the street from elizabeth and andrew Andrew, and sort of the two couples' lives are intertwined. They're approaching middle age. Both of them are raising teenagers. Elizabeth and Andrew have sort of a quiet, geeky, very well-behaved son. He never rocks the boat. Zoe and her wife have this daughter who's like super cool and everyone wants to hang out with her. And so, of course, Elizabeth and Andrew's son has always had a crush on Zoe's daughter, but nothing has come of it yet. Um, things happen to these two families, disasters occur um, throughout the course of the book. And the main tension is that uh, there was a fourth bandmate when Elizabeth and Andrew and Zoe were in college, and she went on to become very famous, and then she died young, and someone wants to tell, did she die? No, I can't remember. Let me start this segment over. <laughs> she did die. She did die. Okay. Um, I think so. Right? So she did die. Yeah. Okay, so we now don't I'm need like, to start the segment over. We can all just laugh at me. <laughs> Listen, it's hard to keep up with details straight all the time. <laughs> I read this year, like months ago. Uh, okay, so they had a fourth bandmate. She died young. And now Hollywood is calling for the movie rights. Uh, they want Elizabeth and Andrew and Zoe to give their permission for their stories to be told alongside the bandmate's story in a movie about her. And um, there's a lot of money on the line, uh, but also, you know, you're giving your privacy up for someone to dig into your past and sort of write a character based on you that you don't have any control over. So they're fighting over this. Um, everyone's just having a hard time and sort of and the identity crisis of what do you do if you are worried that your best days are behind you, that you were cool in college and you have peaked. Meanwhile, their teenage kids are just you know, starting to figure out who they are and to understand their own identities. Their marriages are complicated. The family stuff is going on. And Straub gives us everybody's perspective. So we get chapters about both of the kids and about all three of Elizabeth, Andrew, and Zoe as they try to handle their individual crises and their family crises. And it's, you know, it's funny and thoughtful and smart and just gets right. I think Emma Straub's characters and the relationships she creates between them always feel very real and possible to me like that you could you know sit down next to one of these characters at the bar and strike up a conversation with them and that they would feel like a real and wholly realized person uh, and I just I love that about her fiction and I just really appreciate the way that she does families but I think Modern Lovers uh, is the best one yet and in a year that was really about celebrating you know sort of big books that did dark difficult things modern lovers uh is a thoughtful interesting fun book that is not to be overlooked so yeah 
<laughs> what I, I I was like, but she stopped. What happened? <laughs> Uh, well, it's still my turn because I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor this week, which is us. Uh, if you did not already know this, Book Riot runs the Book Riot store. It is at store.bookriot.com where you can get all kinds of t-shirts and tote bags and socks and coffee mugs and, you know, you name it, onesies for babies, gifts for yourself and for the book lovers in your life. It's run in partnership with Out of Print Clothing, so you can also get the full catalog of their items at the Book Riot store. And as we are running into the holidays, we're having all kinds of sales and promotions, just depending on what day you're listening to this show, there will be a different offer happening in the store. Uh, and we also run Book Riot's book mail program through that. Uh, so every couple of months, we release a box of books and bookish items that are a secret around a theme. Uh, for $60, you get two books and a variety of items, and the shipping is included, and the value of all the stuff in the box exceeds that $60, so you get a lot of bang for your buck. Um, the December box came out last week, and it is sort of books within books. Um, both of the books that are in the box have books as a central element to the story. The book introduces a character to like a new reality, um, or uh, sort of explodes something about their lives. They're great reads. There's exclusive content from one of the featured authors. Um, and there are some products that we haven't debuted in the Book Riot store yet that the Bookmail customers will get first. Uh, so those are limited quantity. They only last for as long as we have them. Uh, so if you're interested in one of those, pick it up sooner rather than later. They also make great gifts. Uh, so check out store.bookriot.com today. All right, Lib, roll on. Save okay. me. <laughs> So my next pick is one that as soon as I started reading it, I just knew. Like, you know when you just get that feeling, you're like, this book is going to just just mm -hmm. kill me. It's, it's going to be everything to me. That's this one. It's called Valiant Gentleman by Sabina Murray. Um, I cannot stress enough how much I love this book. But also I realized, I talked about it when it came out, I might have downplayed how sad it is. I don't think I mentioned enough, like, how sad it is. Um... It's so vibrant and funny and fast-paced and interesting and based on, on real people. Um, I just, I loved it so much, but ultimately it is a tragedy, which I don't think I mentioned enough. Um, this is not going to end well for one of the main characters. Um, and so in Valiant Gentlemen, uh, Sabina Murray reimagines the lives of, like I said, real people. Um, the Irish patriot, Roger Casement. Uh, his best friend, Herbert Ward, and Ward's wife, Sarita Sanford. Um, it, go it follows four decades of their friendship, from when they start out as young friends in the Congo, where they're working in the jungles, like moving shipments and supplies and hunting and witnessing all kinds of horrible things. Um, and it moves on to when Ward leaves and starts his family with Sarita in France. And Roger Casement sort of drifts around from Africa to back to Ireland, and he gets involved in politics. Um, it leads up to World War I, where their friendship sort of takes a turn because they end up fighting on opposite sides. Uh, Ward and his teenage sons fight for England, and Roger Casement worked with the Germans to try and free Ireland from British rule. Um, it's just a gorgeous, epic saga of friendship and love and betrayal and, like I said, I thought it was so, so funny and charming and lovely, but, like I also said, it's not going to end well for one of them. So, um, I'm sorry if I didn't tell you that the first time. <laughs> uh, so, again, 
It is called Valiant Gentleman by Sabina Murray. All right. Uh, my next pick is Children of the New World. It's short stories by Alexander Weinstein. I read a bunch of great short story collections this year. Most of them were debuts. This one, like, I gave myself one favorite short story pick for this show, and it was hard to do, so I want to shout out to some of the other contenders. Um, I super considered The Unfinished World by Amber Sparks, but I've talked about that on this show several times. It's great and deserves to be read, but I wanted to talk about something a little bit different. Um, I also really loved we show what we have learned by Claire Beams. Um, that was also a weird, great collection of short stories. Virgin and other stories by April Ayers Lawson. We just talked about that a couple weeks ago. There were so, so many. This was my hardest one to narrow down. But I loved Children of the New World. Uh, it's all the stories are about. Uh, technology. They're slightly dystopic. Well, some of them are really dystopic. Um, and they're set in the near future. So Weinstein is imagining uh, what happens when technology is even more integrated into our lives and even our bodies than it is today. And so you've got people in these stories who like to go to work, they basically plug into a virtual reality world. Um, to have sex, they put on a VR suit and they like lay down next to each other on the bed, but they're interacting they're not physically touching at all. They're interacting only in uh, the virtual reality world. People don't leave their house to you know, go anywhere really anymore. Um, it's a very dark look at the future. It is, I think, um, one of the reasons that I really enjoyed the book is that I'm skeptical of this dark view of the future. I, for the most part, really love technology. I see a lot of potential for the ways that it has made our lives better and the way that it can still make our lives better as we get better at it. But like, I understand why people are afraid of these things happening too. And Weinstein's dark take on it, sort of pessimistic, worried, view of what's going to happen with technology or his imagination of it in these stories, at least, um, it was totally sold me. I, I believed 100% in this world that he had created. And it's, it's fascinating and scary and creepy and unsettling in all those ways that thinking about a world where people don't interact with each other at all anymore should be fascinating and creepy and unsettling. Um, they're, they're just really great. I want uh, an Alexander Weinstein novel now. It'll be interesting to see. But if you're into like the George Saunders uh, sort of school of short fiction that does futuristic technology-ish things, I think you'll like Children of the New World. Um, it's really memorable. There, there are just a couple stories that I still think about all the time. Um, a great book. And yeah, my favorite, it's my favorite short story collection of the year, I think. But that was, it's hard to pick. Ask me tomorrow. It might be different. They were all really good. <laughs> I know that's how I feel. I'm like, uh, tomorrow I could pick five different things. I know. Which, like, that's the reader's life, right? Like, nobody, I think, could just settle. We went back and forth in email for a while about how we were going to narrow these down and who was going to take which books, because we have some overlap uh, in our wheelhouses. This would be a different show if we recorded it, like, a month from now. Um, but that's the beauty of it. There were a lot of great books to choose from. I let my cats pick. <laughs> also, it was just George Saunders Day. On Saturday. Oh, oh right. 10th Saturday. of December. Way to go, George Saunders. Way to, like, <laughs> nail down your own holiday. I wore my George Saunders shirt. So excited All for right. his book to come out. Oh, I know. I've been hearing such good things. Have you read it already? Oh, yes. Of course you have. Yes. Yes. So good. All right. I'm going to tell you about my last pick. Let's do it. I have talked about it a couple times, but I just loved it so much, I can't not mention it again. It is One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. So let's get this out of the way. The boy dies. 
<laughs> he's 10 years old and he dies. I'm not spoiling anything for you. That's right on the jacket. It's right at the beginning. It's obvious. Um, he was this lovely, special, very sensitive young man. He was 10. He was obsessed with the Guinness Book of World Records. And he also was a Boy Scout. And he decides to earn one of his badges, um, I think, like, for helping someone, uh, by helping a 104-year-old woman named Ona with some chores around her house. He also starts interviewing her for school and learns about her life. She is a Lithuanian immigrant, and she tells him about what it was like when she was little, when she came to this country. And he decides that he wants her to get the record for the world's oldest person. Like, that's something that she has a, a say in. Like, she can just do that. Um, and also, he wants her to get the record for the oldest licensed driver. Um, but, like I said, he does pass away, suddenly. Um, and so, the boy has always lived with his mother, Belle. His parents are divorced. And after the boy dies, his estranged father, Quinn, who is a set musician who sort of just tours around the country going from job to job, he shows back up. He feels extremely guilty because he never bonded with the boy. He wanted the boy to be interested in guitars and music, and he was not, they couldn't find any common ground. And so he was really never around after he and the boy's mother divorced. Um, and so now he has decided that he is going to help Ona achieve the world record for oldest licensed driver um, and help the boy realize his dreams. Um, and through Ona, he also learned about the son that he never really knew. Yes, it is like a 500-tissue book, um, but you also still feel really good after you read it. Um, it's not just a tearjerker. Like, I think it wouldn't have worked if, like, the boy died in the middle of the book or at the end of the book. Um, it's, it's fantastic. It reminded me a lot of a John Irving book without mm. the really weird sex stuff. Um, it's Fair. just so lovely and charming and heartwarming. Again, it's called One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. Right. My last pick is my favorite romance of the year. Of course, it's Sarah McLean, because what would a best books of the year show be without her? Um, but this one is important in its own right. It's A Scott in the Dark, and uh, she just has the best punny titles, so let's appreciate that, first of all. Um, this is the second book in her Scandal and Scoundrel series, but the glory of romance series is that you don't have to read them all or read them in order in order to enjoy the book. So I think that you should, but um, that's only because she's awesome. You can just pick this one up if you want to. Uh, the series is inspired by uh, modern day gossip and rumor mills and things that happen to women's reputation. So she's inspired by like things that happen to the Kardashians. But that gossip culture is not new. It, there were gossip rags back in Regency times. Um, and so she, you know, turns that uh, into the sort of centralizing force of the stories. This one is about Lillian Hargrove. Uh, she's a young woman who has been lonely. She's waiting for companionship. And Lillian has had a friendship slash some kind of relationship uh, with an artist. Um, he announces at the beginning of the book at this big gathering where the whole community is there that he's going to unveil his work and that it's going to be a nude and Lillian realizes and everyone else knows because of the relationship that they've had that this is going this nude is going to be her um, and everyone is scandalized because of course she's a young unmarried woman and now she it comes out that she has let this artist paint a nude portrait of her um she, he told her that 
it was just for him that no one would ever see it. So he secured her permission to paint her nude body um, under false pretenses. But of course, nobody cares. They just want to blame her for this. And so Sarah McLean is getting at the way that women are blamed when bad things happen to them that are beyond their control, when images of their body that they thought they were sending in private um, are revealed to the public, like email hacking. This is the... uh, Regency version of somebody's phone gets hacked and their nude photos get displayed and it's like, well, she should never have taken those in the first place. Um, so she's, you know, tying together some of these, you know, tropes and issues that are present today, but that have really been present in culture for literal centuries. Um, basically because of patriarchy. Um, but she does it in a way that's really fun and funny to read. These books are, are they're just so smart and they're so feminist. Um, and she does a really great thing in Scott in the Dark where she just turns a whole bunch of the tropes of romance novels and a bunch of the pieces of the formula onto their heads um, and changes who has the power in the story. It's it's a great read. Um, if you're familiar with romance novels, you'll be able to see a lot of interesting things happen in the book. If you're not familiar with romance novels, I always say that Sarah McLean is a great place to start. But I think any, you know, especially any woman reader um, can relate to the things that happen to Lillian in this story and the fears that she has about um, being taken advantage of, having her reputation ruined uh, by a decision that she thought she was making out of trust and in confidence. Uh, with a person who then violates that trust and confidence. And um, it's a romance. So of course, there's also a suitor and a love story. And it's Sarah McLean. So there are some steamy love scenes. Uh, It's just a really great read. I looked forward to it for so many months, and then I was uh, not disappointed when it came out. So that is A Scott in the Dark by Sarah McLean. Yay, Sarah. Woohoo. Okay, so those are our favorite novels today of 2016. (laughs) What are you going to read next? Um, my, I'm currently reading, this isn't even a galley brag, this is just a straight up brag brag. Okay, I'm reading out, the new Jeff Vandermeer novel. It's called Born, B-O-R-N-E, and holy cats. Like, I wrote to his publicist, so I was like, what the fox am I reading? It is <laughs> insane! So good, so crazy. It takes place in the near future, it's like their world is kind of ruined, it's been... Um, sort of taken over by all these discarded experiments done by this big company called The Company, um, including a giant bear, like a giant, like, three-story tall bear that sort of wreaks havoc on the the survivors of this planet. Um, And there's a, a young scavenger named Rachel who finds this little blob, this little green blob in the bear's fur, and that is born. Born, okay. nobody knows, like, what born is. It's sentient. Um, is it a plant? Is it an animal? She takes born home, and, you know, as born grows, you sort of find out, like, what he is and, like, what he can do and what's going to happen. Like, who knows, like, what born's going to turn into. Um, it's so bonkers. <laughs> what does Jeff Vandermeer eat for breakfast? Oh, my say? goodness. Yeah, I don't know. But it's awesome. Bowls of awesome. <laughs> Bowls of awesome, probably. Yeah. Um, I'm using my end of the year free time. Before we start like getting a head start on 2017, I'm catching up on 2016. Um, so I am just about to start. I just finished Sweet Bitter, which I think I mentioned last week I was going to read. I loved it, and I'm going to start Girls on Fire. Girls or Girl? Girls, Girls on Fire yeah. by Robin Wasserman, which I know you loved. Yeah, it's like a Megan Abbott novel with the nasty turn to 11. 
I am ready. Yeah. Okay, so those are favorite novels of 2016. Hooray! Uh, we'll be back with best nonfiction of the year next week. In the meantime, thank you to our sponsors, Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books uh, to get your free 24, your free 30-day trial of the 24-7 t-shirt bra. There are so many numbers in that page. <laughs> um, to Comic Bento, go to comicbento.com to subscribe and use the code RIOT15 to get 15% off your subscription. And of course, check out store.bookriot.com for all your bookish clothing and accessory needs, especially for the holiday season. If you have something to tell us or to ask us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can always reach us on Twitter as well. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. We are still dispensing unicorn names if you're in need of one. Uh, Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you'd like to give us a little holiday tip, you can leave a rating or a review for the show on iTunes. Let's us know how we're doing and it helps other readers who are looking for a book show to find their way to us. And if you would like to learn about books out today, you can do so uh, in the show notes. You can read about titles out now at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. All right. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.